Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. We are in the middle of a challenging series based on the book, Lord, Change My Attitude by James McDonald. And uh, he is a wonderful teacher and writer. And uh, I just want to make clear to you that when we give you authors' names or direct you to a book, it's, it's just a kind suggestion and, and uh, based on the hope that you are actively looking for resources to help you uh, be a better Christian, be a better husband, wife, father, mother, your different roles, that we are looking for good godly resources and voices to speak into our lives, to explain the word of God in a way that helps us to grow. And so um, I feel really good about this series. I, I missed last week, but I know Miss Benz did a wonderful job. And we are so blessed at the Calvary Church. We have so many capable people here that teach and preach with such excellence and authority and anointing. And I hope you realize that we are most blessed. And I thank God for that fact. But um, this book, Lord Changed My Attitude, uh, the highest recommendation I could give it was the fact that it was in a stack of books of potential series in my dad's desk. And so I know that that means a great deal to you as it does to me, and I feel really good about the fact that we are going through this book together. But I think we could all agree that our attitude is something that we have to work on no matter our age no matter our stage of life. And as a kid, my dad would tell me that I needed an attitude adjustment. Have you ever used that phrase on your kids? You know I have. Um, you know, have you, did your parents use that phrase on you? Am I the only one? An attitude adjustment. And I hated it when he said that. Whatever my attitude was, it just got worse. The moment he said it, and, and he would also say he, he was big on the index finger, you know, he was a big guy, there was a lot of authority there, and he would say, you have an attitude problem, and I'm the solution. <laughs> and then he would say, so grab your ankles and kiss your butt goodbye. <laughs> Isn't that right, Mom? I'm not exaggerating. And of course, he was kidding, sort of sort of kidding. Thank God I needed every one of those adjustments. And so now poor Father Tom has to deal with my bad attitude. What can I say? I'm just a very passionate person. I have lots of feelings. I have lots of opinions of, well, just about everything. I have an opinion. I do. And, um, one of the phrases he uses a lot with me is, we don't talk like that. We don't act like that. Kate loves it when he says that to me. She eggs it on, you know. And a couple of weeks ago, I was on the struggle bus. I couldn't even tell you what about what, because I'm on and off the struggle bus all the time. And Tom said, today can we not get mad about something? Just one day. Where you're not fired up over something. And I said, no. Because <laughs> you have made it worse with that remark. 
So God's love, Pastor Tom. His cross is a little bit heavier because he's got to carry me on it sometimes with my bad attitude. But all of us, obviously myself included, have to do lots of work when it comes to our attitude. And I would go so far as to say that we all do well to work on the different subjects that have been presented to us through this series. Last week, I listened to Miss Benz do an excellent job on teaching, on changing from a critical attitude to an attitude of love. Oh, God, help us. I wasn't even listening to it live, but I knew there were chiclets flying everywhere. This is some tough stuff. And so this week, we're going to look at replacing an attitude of doubt with an attitude of faith. And we've been studying the children of Israel and their time spent wandering in the wilderness because of their wrong attitude. So here we go. Wilderness attitude number four is doubt. Everybody say doubt. Simply stated, doubt is the absence of faith. Doubt is a lack of confidence or a lack of assurance that God will keep his promises. Wow, that's an intense statement. Just reading and thinking about that definition brings conviction to my heart. Because doubt is a choice to live in uncertainty. Doubt is a choice to live in uncertainty. And because of this, we must acknowledge that doubt is destructive. And it is detrimental to our relationship with God. And when we continue to question God's willingness or God's ability to keep his promises, this attitude will become a lifestyle like all the other attitudes that we've covered so far. The truth is, God is not just able, but God is willing to keep all of his promises to us. And so here's the bottom line. If we don't have confidence that God will keep his promises, then what do we have? If we don't have that assurance in our souls that God is going to keep his promise and that he wants to keep his promise, then what is our relationship with him based on? What is it all about? And so here's our mantra for tonight. Those who make doubting their lifestyle will spend their lifetime, guess where? In the wilderness, that's right. In Numbers 13, we see the children of Israel straddling the fence between the wilderness of their attitude and the promised land. And here we find five principles that show us how God deals with doubt. In fact, as homework, if you haven't already, I would encourage you to read Numbers chapter 13, verse 1, all the way to chapter 14, verse 11, you will find a lot of personal insight in that story. And so tonight we're going to begin by looking briefly at these five principles of how God responds to doubt. Number one, God places regular tests of faith before his children. Some of the most hated words in our academic experience is, there's going to be a test, right? I hated hearing that, and now I'm teaching at TCA, and I feel so bad saying, 
there's going to be a test. Oh, I am the one that's hated, and I want them to like me. But there's going to be a test. Why? Because I have to make sure that they are learning what we are teaching in the class. And so God, the ultimate teacher, lets us know throughout his word there's going to be a test. The purpose of the test, James McDonald says in the book, isn't to reveal your faith, but it is to refine your faith. See, God isn't testing your faith to see what you're made of. Guess what? He already knows. But how many of you have had that experience where a trial or an unexpected test comes in our lives and our faith is tested and we realize there's some gaps in what I say I believe and what I'm actually feeling and thinking right now. God tests our faith so we know what's there and we can see where our faith needs to grow. Because God has a purpose for everything in our lives. Amen. Number two, the circumstances of life will either shrink or stretch your faith. I think this is some of the most significant information the Bible gives us in Numbers 13. That all 12 disciples, or 12 disciples, 12 wrong series, 12 spies that were sent to the promised land, they all had the same assignment from God through Moses. And what was it? To look at the land. That was what everybody was supposed to do. Now Moses added his piece to it and said, check out the land and check out who's living there. Which is a whole nother deal. We won't, we won't tear Moses down. But that's where the trouble started. All right, so go spy out the land. And so all 12 guys with the same assignment saw the same things. Did they not? They saw the land. They saw the abundance. They saw the people. They saw their weapons. They saw all the same things. They're looking at the same place. And yet 10 of them said, there are giants there. And only two of them said, they're there, but we can take them. Isn't that telling of human nature? That people can look at the same thing and yet see very different things. Give very different reports based on where they're at in their faith experience. Number three, doubt sees the obstacles and faith sees the opportunities. Because of what God had already promised, what did he promise them? The land is already yours. Signed, sealed, delivered, Stevie. The land is yours, guys. But the problem was never the giants or the cities or the weapons or all of the things that were already going on. The problem was their attitude. Number four, when surrounded by doubters, doubting comes easily. Truer words have never been spoken. Let's look at Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in this wilderness. 
They all got on the same page very easily because they were all dealing with doubt. We need to surround ourselves with people of faith. And if you are someone who struggles with doubt, maybe you struggle with fear, that's okay. You need to find another believer who doesn't have those same struggles. You need to find someone that you can link arms with and say, I'm spooked. I need someone to speak faith to me right now. Because the truth is, it is not, it, it is hard to find people of faith. It is not hard to find people that have doubt. Isn't that true? And so hopefully, like every relationship we have in our lives, we're intentional in our faith relationships to say, you know what, you're a person of faith. I see that you've been through a lot and you're standing strong. And I want to be like that. What's your secret? What do you do? Will you pray for me? And number five, it's a short journey from doubt to despair. Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. The drama of these people. So many miraculous things happening every single day. And yet, one bad report and the sky is literally falling. You talk about spiraling out of control. Because it's not a far leap. It's a very short distance between doubting and being in total despair. Or to borrow the phrase from that movie I love, The Princess Bride, the pit of despair. I knew I'd get a laugh over there. You guys are awesome. So if doubt is so destructive, why does doubt come so easily to us, even as believers? Well, Dr. McDonald gives us some very good reasons. Doubt is contagious. Even Chicken Little was able to cause an uproar, right? With his pronouncement of gloom and doom. Doubt is passive. You see, faith requires action from us, but doubt doesn't. It's easier to doubt, let's be honest. Doubt satisfies our tendency towards self-protection. The truth is that some of us have learned to play it safe. We assume that God will treat us the way other people have. It's safer for us to doubt. Doubters are easier to find than friends of faith. Unfortunately, those who operate in faith are in the minority. Just look at the story that we're studying tonight. Two out of 12, two out of Two million, some scholars say. Two people say, yeah, they're giants. Yeah, they're big. But the place is amazing and we can take them. And everybody else isn't so sure. But the Bible lets us know, and I am so thankful for this, that the children of Israel were not the only ones who struggled believing that God could keep his promises. Even when Jesus Christ was walking on the earth, people had doubt. People struggled to believe in spite of what they were seeing, in spite of what they had heard about Jesus that led them to come to him to ask for help. I thought of the father with the little boy that was possessed in Mark chapter 9 verse 24 when he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. 
I think that's one of the most powerful prayers in scripture to acknowledge his humanity and say, Lord, I believe, but I know there's a gap between my faith and what needs to happen. So Lord, will you help me? And we know that he did. God honored the faith that he could muster in that moment and he healed his son, even the disciples who were eyewitnesses to so many miracles, blind eyes being opened, dead being raised. And yet they said to him in Luke 17, verse 5, Lord, increase our faith. Can you imagine all the things that they saw, all the things that they professed to believe, the revelation that they had of who Jesus was walking on the earth, and they still in their humanity found themselves in a position to say, Lord, increase our faith. Help us. We don't have enough on our own. And in Luke 17, verse 6, what is Jesus' answer? It's when he talks about the mustard seed. Where Jesus says, everyone has a measure of faith. Amen. And so I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in the darkness of my doubt anymore. Because I have an option. We all have an option according to the word of God. And what we can clearly see is the will of God for our lives. And so let's begin by drawing some lines for what faith is and for what faith is not. And so Dr. McDonald gave us an excellent list, and I want to go to that now, that faith is not an ostrich approach. Denial is not a prerequisite for faith. We believe God's word is true in the context of every circumstance, not because we choose to ignore the facts, but we believe in the power of God in the midst of those facts. Amen. Faith is not anti-intellectual. I'm so glad that I practice and believe in something that does not require me to check my brain at the door. Amen. Faith is not stupidity. It is not ignorance. Faith is not escapism. I don't have to ignore reality to activate the confidence that I have in God. I don't have to close my eyes and cover my ears and act like nothing is going on, even though I want to sometimes. I don't have to do that to have faith. Faith is not a positive mental attitude. It is not this mental ascent to where I clear my mind out of all the negative energy. Oh, I can't stand that terminology. It is not a positive mental attitude. And I think one of the most fundamental mistakes that we make in regards to our faith experience is that we equate our feelings with our measure of faith. And nothing could be further from the truth because faith has nothing to do with my feelings. God's ability to fulfill his word and keep his promises has absolutely nothing to do with my feelings. And the Bible shows us that to be true. So here's the good news tonight. Jesus said, we all have a measure of faith. We all have the ability to trust. We all have the ability to believe in God for ourselves. 
I believe in a lot of things. I'm sure you do too. I believe in Santa Claus. Just ask my kids. I believe in Amazon Prime. Kristen, you know that's right. When I finally decide to put that thing in my cart, do you guys ever do that switch from saved for later to cart, saved for later to cart, depending on how disciplined I feel that day? I know Tom wants to delete my Amazon app, but he cannot. Because this is America. I love it. I have the right to be foolish. Yes. But I believe in prime. Bless God. I'm not. Have you seen that meme? I am not a Pinterest mom. I'm an Amazon prime mom. All right. Because Amazon makes dreams come true. I don't doubt that when I add it to my car and I check out, it will be at my doorstep. Because I got faith. Amen. I believe that Netflix is going to work when I get home tonight, y'all. And when I finally decide what I'm going to fall asleep to tonight, I believe Netflix is going to work. I believe when I show up at the Kroger gas pump that my fuel points are going to be accounted for. Amen. Because I have faith. Not always in the best things or the right things. But that's why it shakes our world when those things don't work right. What do you mean? Low connectivity problems. What do you mean? No internet, no Wi-Fi. What does this mean? How is it possible? Amazon has lost my package a couple of times. How could they do that? How could they let me down? I put my faith in you. I paid for that item and you've lost it. Now everything is ruined. Because I do have faith. I have a measure of faith. Hebrews 11.1, you knew we were going there, says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for in your Amazon cart. The evidence of things not seen. I love how the ESV puts it. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen seen. And so in conclusion tonight, I want to tell you the three things that faith is, according to the word of God. Number one, faith is confidence. Faith is the active assurance I have when I'm praying about something that God has got it. Titus chapter one, verse two says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. My confidence tonight, and I hope yours is too, is in the fact that God honors his word. Number two, faith is substance. Faith is what I hold on to while I am waiting. Faith is believing, not just hoping. Faith is not just Crossing your fingers and closing one eye. Man, I hope this works. Man, I hope God comes through. But faith is the ability to go to sleep. Faith is the ability to walk away from your prayer closet and say, 
I'm leaving it there because I trust that God has got it. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. And number three, faith is evidence. Faith proves that God is faithful. We have to act on our faith. Because faith without works is dead. That's what the book of James tells us. James chapter 2, verses 17 through 18 say, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast, have, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. By what I do after I've prayed about it. By what I think about after I've laid it at the altar. I will show you my faith by what I'm doing with what I believe. Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it. No matter how I feel. Because God promises a good result. Acting upon our faith will affect every area of our lives. Amen. And so now it is app time. All right? And I want you to think about a need that you have in your life right now. And I want you to take a moment to think about a time in your life or in the life of someone you know where God met a similar need where God already did it, because that's part of what faith is to say, if he did it before, he can do it again. All right, so I'm going to give you a few minutes. We have time here. I want us to encourage one another, maybe testify a little bit, things that God has already done for you in light of what you need him to do right now. All right, we'll bring your app time to a close and have just a few more things I want to say to you before we uh, stand and pray. But at the beginning of uh, tonight's lesson, we defined doubt as not believing that God will keep his promises. But the truth is, and the reason why I had you discuss what I had you discuss is that if God has already done something then he can do it again even if he hasn't done it for you he can do it for you and so I want to read you 
some scriptures, some promises from the word of the Lord tonight that God has promised to provide for us. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God has promised to protect us. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 17 says, No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall confute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication from me declares the Lord. God has promised to prosper us. Psalm 84 verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Faith comes by hearing. And so if you are doubting, if you are afraid, if you are uncertain about what's going on in your life, read the word of God. I intentionally read you many verses tonight. More than I normally do. And poor Brother Forrest was a champ when I sent him my long list. But that was because I understand that in order to help build your faith, you need to hear the word of God. And not just what I'm going to say or my thoughts on what the word of God says. And so if you are discouraged, if you're struggling, if you're doubting about your situation and God's ability to come through for you, you need to listen to the word of God. Turn off the news and turn on the scripture. Because that is what feeds your faith. And that is what's going to anchor you in times of trouble. I invite you to stand with me. I want to read one last verse to you tonight. And when I was reading it while I was studying today, it just struck my heart so clearly that the Lord would ask us the same question that he asked the children of Israel. Numbers chapter 14, verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? And so I feel the Lord challenging us tonight as individuals, as families, and as a church to ask us that same question. How long will you not believe me? Lord, increase our faith. Is if your disciples struggled with their faith and needed you to add to their faith and to help them in that way, surely we do too. Because here's the bottom line. Faith isn't simply a part of the Christian life. It's the whole thing. Because either God can keep all of these promises or he cannot. And we make that decision every day. With every prayer, with every answer, with every decision that we make. And so I want us to pray together in a very specific way. I would ask you to lay hands on someone around you. And I want you to partner with them in faith. I want you to have faith for them 
the way you need them to have faith for you in this moment. I would say even borrow some faith from somebody in this moment. So let's, let's go ahead. Let's reach out. Reach out and touch someone. Connect with someone. The Bible says to lay hands on one another, to pray for one another. And I want you to do that with me now. Lord Jesus, we love you. I thank you for this moment in your presence and in your word. That God, faith has been stirred in this room because we have been thinking and meditating on your word. And so God, I pray that your word would activate hope inside of us. But more than just a new hope, God, I pray for a supernatural ability to believe you. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Lord Jesus, increase our faith in this moment. That whatever we are facing, whatever we are anticipating in our lives, that we would choose to believe that you keep your promises. That we would choose to live our lives in a way that honors you to say that my faith has substance, that my faith is evident, that my faith is my confidence, that I have built my life on your exceeding great and precious promises. Be it unto us, Lord, according to your word. Everything that you have said is available to us, that we are protected, that we are provided for, that you give us honor, Lord, that you look for ways to prosper us. That is your promise. Those are your words to us as individuals, to us as families, to us as the Calvary Church. And so we agree together in Jesus' name for every need and every concern that we have. In the name of Jesus, we ask for your help. We ask you to help our unbelief increase our faith as only you can. And we will give you praise and we will give you honor. Thank you for meeting with us here tonight. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.